Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Gregory T. Walker, founder and creative director of The Brothers Network. Originally from Bloomfield, Connecticut, Walker calls Philadelphia home. He's always wanted to inform and empower diverse communities in innovative ways that allow individuals, groups, and organizations to understand each other. This desire and a personal experience led him to found the Brothers Network. To understand why the Brothers Network exists, it may help to share the tale of an experience Walker had at a local coffee shop. He walked up to the counter and asked the barista for an espresso. The barista replied, Have you ever had an espresso? Do you know what it is? Walker replied, I've been drinking espresso since 1980. In an article in Philadelphia Magazine, Walker explained, It seems that many Americans, white, black, and in-between, view black men through a certain frame of reference that fails to acknowledge the totality of the black male experience. At the museum, the black man is a security guard rather than the person who created the works on the walls. At the theater, he's the usher rather than a part of the action on the stage or a person behind that action. And in the everyday world, the black men who do create works of art who do write plays, and who love to talk about the ideals they advance, get confused for those guards and ushers. Walker believes the hardest part is getting people to believe that MacArthur Genius Award winners, Tony Award winners, and winners of most every single honor have been held by a black man who's at the top of their game. The Brothers Network dismantles these assumptions. The organization specializes in bringing brilliant black men together around arts and culture. The people who attend the Brothers Network programs form a new community, one in which they no longer feel isolated. On October 12th, the Brothers Network will celebrate its anniversary with a five-course dinner award ceremony, and an opening night performance of Sweat, a play written by Lynn Nodich and directed by Justin Amica. The Brothers Network is just one of the many ways Gregory Walker manifests his life goal to foster a sense of equanimity in our society and have all of us recognize the value in each of us. Gregory, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. 
How are you today? It's a pleasure to be with you, and that introduction is uh, making me smile and uh, chuckle. I am good to hear that and hear that you did your research. I love that. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So excited to be here. Thank you. I mean, it, it just sort of hits so close to home. And it is true that we don't, even as African Americans, we don't see us for what we are. And I can recall I was telling someone once I took a group of young people to the Dusab Museum in Chicago, and we were fortunate we got there late. There was an amazing guy who was a docent, and um, we didn't know how big he was. But anyhow, we were going around, and he, he asked these kids, he said, well, what do you see in these pictures? And they looked at somebody and said, slaves. Oh. And he said, no, look. He said, and, and he went on to explain to them that they were, these were craftspeople. These were artists. These were people who built the infrastructure of this country. And right. it was just like, yeah, even us. We look at these pictures, and we have been, like, so beat down that we look That's right. and we don't see the MacArthur genius. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a sad and uh, tragic uh, – slavery itself as an institution is a sta- sad and tragic phenomenon in this country and around the world, and the, 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 the effects of it as well. When you can change the mindset of a group of people or groups of people to think that they are less than and have that last for three, four, five hundred years, that is a powerful impact. Right, And so that is what has happened. The Brothers Network sets out to dismantle and debunk those myths and misconceptions. I always say enslaved Africans as opposed to Africa or as opposed to slaves, right? Because we want to honor their humanity. These were people mm-hmm. who were living and working in their society and their community, and they were stolen right? They were stolen uh, from, from, from one part of the world and brought forcibly to another part of the world. That's not a slave. That's a human being, mm-hmm. right? And, and they were never, and enslaved Africans were never trying to run away. They were trying to find and regain the freedom that they had that they were born with, their birthright. So even the term runaway slave is a wrong term, quite frankly. It suggests that they're running away and that's a bad thing. No, they're trying to become free, which is how they were born. Mm -hmm. And then they were captured and forced to work without pay. And that is the travesty of our society. So, So these are human beings and we have to honor the full humanity in each of us and all of us every single day and recognize that this was an illegal act and every aspect of it was illegal. And, and let's and, just know, resonate for that. Let's just resonate on that for a minute. These these were mm-hmm. free people, right? Just like you and I today. Could you imagine mm-hmm. someone, Michelle, coming into your home right now and taking you out of it and taking you to a faraway land and then forcing you to work? And then you try to leave, right? You try to leave, mm-hmm. and then they say, "Oh, you're 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 running away from slavery. You're a runaway slave," as if that is a bad thing. You know, all of the people who try to uh, leave the bondage are are really heroes, right? They really are. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's other part, like to me, because I have talked to people on all sides of literacy, and yes. the genius that here you were snatched out and you used the tools that you came to not only survive, but to thrive. I mean, the fact that we are still here and accomplishing and doing how, even to the point like how they use the Bible to 
oppressed, but we found a way to use it as a tool of liberation. I mean, so the genius, you know, they're saying that we weren't literate enough, we couldn't read and write, but yet we could leave signs, uh, uh, trails, ways to show pathways to freedom. I mean, the genius that is the black person. That is exactly right. And that's, we, we had a film about that a little while ago, and some people unfortunately called it a slave film. And we had some amazing people, including Coleman Domingo, who serves on my board in that film. And, and it's a, it's, it really talks about, you know, the birth of a nation. And it really talks mm-hmm. about the revolt that happened. And it wasn't a revolt. It was a desire for freedom and liberation. Right? And Coleman Domingo chooses uh, why we have him as a board member, as, a, as an actor, because he chooses roles that reflect the Brothers Network and also reflect the greater good of our society. That film didn't do very well, Birth of a Nation, we think, because people were misguided about what it was about. And it was about freedom and liberation and male-female relationships, and it was about mm-hmm. love, and it was about a whole bunch of things. And to your point, Michelle, it was brilliant that Thank he you. had learned to, to master, master the, the reading and writing and tools to manage to find freedom for people. And that is a phenomenal story, right? I mean, we should have, you know, mm-hmm. we have Martin Luther King Day. We, we should have all of these days for folks who, who led uh, revolts and rebellions for their freedom. That's what it was about. You know, and I think, like, from that, I think one of the most, you know, I love to the film. I think I saw it more than once. Thank <laughs> you. Know, <and> <laughs> I, I was telling people, like I said, the fact that, that it was said in there. You know, they only wanted us to read these parts because if we read all of it, there was this tool for liberation. And it was just like that conversation. I mean, you would find small groups that wanted to have that really serious conversation. And then you found other groups because I know I was um, talking to someone who was um, a person of of faith, of the clergy, and I mm-hmm. said, you know, and I talked about that, I said, and I used that, that, you know, here, he sh- in this movie, it showed how the Bible had been used both as a tool of oppression, but then by the very thing that they didn't want us to learn, when we learned how to read and we read it and then at, and recognized these stories and saw it as a tool of liberation, I mean, it was like, all of a sudden, it was like silence, like, what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. And so knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't coin that phrase. Someone else did. But knowledge is power. And, you know, it reminds me when you when you phrase it in that way, when I began the Brothers Network, which we're going to get into in just a moment, uh, I wrote our first grant proposal. It was a book club that we started. So there we are reading. And, and the, the, the then funder, I was a, a finalist for the funding. And so I had to go into a meeting with her. And, and she said, well, what is this about? I said, well, we have a a group of African-American men who are going to read African-American literature and we're going to engage in discourse and dialogue about that literature. And James Baldwin was one of the people that I listed. We would read his books and novels and plays. And the funder, who was a white woman, uh, actually a gay white woman, said, well, this will never work, Gregory, because mm-hmm. black men don't, don't read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so we, we think about talking about living and working and operating between the spaces, but when we have a gay white woman who says to a, to a black man, well, this won't work because this idea won't work of bringing people together around literature and culture and ideas won't work because it was in her mindset 
that black men did not read. So not only did we not read, we did not think, we did not write plays, we did not write uh, biographies, we didn't do anything. I mean, it was the most appalling to date experience that I have mm-hmm. had, and I've had many, uh, for a white woman to say that to me, a gay white woman at that, to mm-hmm. say that to me. Mm-hmm. It was so, unbelievable. I mean, that, I mean, you know, it's unbelievable, but we know it's, tr- it's true. As it's, a young we, we, person, uh-huh, uh-huh. who uh-huh. or what, what made you realize that you weren't that stereotype, that, that there were other black men who did all these things, who wrote, because I know it's true. I mean, we went to Catholic school, and I know I can recall just as vividly the nuns being like so shocked that I could read at first grade and telling my brother that his path, you know, his path forward was to become a janitor or a mechanic. I mean, you know, it was like, no, yeah, what, what do you mean you think you want to do this, you know? So, right. So yeah. you're saying you're saying when you say it's true, it's true that white people have these misconceptions about who and what mm-hmm. black men are and what black people can mm-hmm. do is what you're saying is true, right? Mm-hmm. It is not true that we, we can't we don't do those things. But this idea is what we at the Brothers Network set out to dismantle and debunk and now we're doing it for over ten years, right? Mm-hmm. And because we know that we have to inform and engage the larger community and largely white people and black people, not that the world is limited to black and white, about the brilliance and the expectations and the inclusion and the historical and cultural contributions, particularly of African-American men, and we like to say men of the African diaspora. It isn't Mm -hmm. just one, it's all of us. And so Mm -hmm. our foundational principles are those of James Baldwin, W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of thinkers and scholars uh, are the folks that we we really rely on and, and play off of what they, they have taught us in this generation and generations to come about how brilliant we are. There's a resurgence now with James Baldwin, and we're so happy to have that. But he never really went away. It's not a resurgence at all. Those of us who were wanting to be informed and engaged listen and read to Baldwin and have done it for a very long time, as well as Du Bois talking about the double consciousness because that's what we know to be true. For, for me, I had the pleasure of, of, of growing up, I call it a pleasure, in suburban Connecticut with a, with a dad and a mom. Uh, and I went over to, the, to, to museums as a kid, and I got to see plays as a kid and professional productions. And, and I was really struck by uh, a painting that I saw, the banjo lesson. And uh, I got to see a black man who had painted art in, painted this wonderful picture of uh, an older black man with a younger black man uh, play, playing, uh, learning to play the banjo. And I was so struck by that image. I didn't know who the painter was. I didn't know anything about that painter. But that image of this older black man teaching a young black boy how to play the banjo stayed in my mind for decades. And, and you know, I, as I went on to life, I just thought, wow, this is really cool because it was hanging in the Wadsworth Athenaeum in Hartford, Connecticut. And I thought, that's so powerful to see art, because I had not seen any art in the Wadsworth Athenaeum that reflected me. So I understood Mm -hmm. the importance of images for young people and old people, people like me, people who didn't look like me, to see images that were reflected of them on a stage, in a museum, in a gallery, on TV, and positive images. 
so I really understood that. So this was really the, the, the jump off point for me. And I went on to do a number of other things. I lived in New York City after that and lived and worked in San Francisco and Baltimore and Washington D.C. I worked in public health for a while and um, did a number of other things, hospital administration. But when I arrived in Philadelphia, it was the calling there where I saw this racial divide, uh, not like any other place I had seen, quite frankly, in the country or in the world where some African-American men were afraid to be in the downtown area after 5 o'clock. There had been a, an, a, an aggressive uh, police person in, in charge for a while named Frank Rizzo, who had sort of forbade African-Americans to be in the central part of the city. Um, and, and that sort of had happened in the 70s, and it, you know, it continued to the 80s, 90s, and throughout up to, to where we are today. And so it's a very interesting thing where people feel like they can't move about their city. I think when people think of Philadelphia, they think of it as a city of brotherly love. And then, you know, when you live here, you see it's not so much that. There, mm-hmm. There's a, a lot of conflict and division within the community and outside of the community. Uh, so it's very frightening. So when I moved here and I would go to the theater and I would go to the ballet and I would go to the opera and I was the only black man there. And so I really started the Brothers Network uh, based on a little bit of being alone and lonely. Um, mm-hmm. And if I saw another man who was going, I'd say, hey, who are you? Let's, let's get together and go the next time together. Or if I saw someone interesting, I literally would go over to him and say, wow, I see you reading this book. Could we possibly be friends? Um, mm-hmm. So it's this spider networking and also just driven by, you know, we're, as human beings, we're social beings. And so we want very much to be part of a group. Um, and then I realized that people had been, uh, sort of structured or taught or uh, led to believe they couldn't be in the downtown area. They couldn't participate in these things in a way that I had been taught to uh, in a large way uh, growing up in Connecticut and, and living in New York and in San Francisco. So, so that's really the, the, the basis of it. But it was that one painting that really stuck out in my mind uh, for, for decades. And then I got to learn more about it when I took my art history class. But, but yeah, that's, that's the basis of it. I don't want to get too far away from, but this mm-hmm. idea of, of choreography and dance and painting. And I always knew what I like to say are the possibilities of possibility for, for black people and particularly for black men. We must mm-hmm. push this forward. Mm-hmm. Now, you Not know, only f- go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, so when you found, I mean, and like you said, you, you came from your family, you know, you went and you saw these things and you've lived, lived around, but when you found your brothers, you know, and you, you like I said, here's somebody who's reading the book, we know that often the ones who give us the most grief are a member of our own community. Was that like a common thread that you found? It was like, and where it was like, hey, you read this book too. You've seen that. And it was like finding like a new, for some people, finding like a new, really, brotherhood, family of people Mm -hmm. who recognized and understood this. Yeah. So so Henry Oswa Tanner is the name of the painter Mm -hmm. who ironically went to school uh, to Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And so it is almost serendipitous that I ended up in, in Philadelphia uh, later on in my life, and that's exactly where, where Henry Oswa Tanner, who painted the banjo lesson, uh, mm-hmm. had been educated and, and, and painted the banjo lesson. So, so people were not aware that these, it seems to me largely that people in, in and around Philadelphia who are African-American were unaware that uh, Henry Oswa Tanner was such a great painter. Uh, what I love the story of Henry Oswa Tanner is that when he was at PAFA with uh, his contemporaries, 
he was actually uh, not treated very nicely, and I'm being generous when I say that. Uh, mm -hmm. He was tied to an easel and left in the street, and he was not able to be in the dorms and not share in with other people. Thomas Eakins was his contemporary, who was a contemporary white guy. Uh, Thomas Eakins, a very famous painter. But Henry Oswald Tanner was not given a show, was not given any opportunity to showcase his work. And he, quite frankly, is more brilliant than Thomas Eakins. It wasn't mm -hmm. until... Henry Oswald Tanner uh, left Philadelphia and went to Europe, that he became the darling of Europe and painted for and with the kings and queens of Europe and was celebrated as this modern American painter. So this idea of leaving Philadelphia, ironically, is where his growth and his value started for him. He was the same great painter on this side of the Atlantic, but because of racism, he was not given an opportunity. Mm. Wow. Wow, that's, that's just, that's just, I mean, and really, there's still like a certain karma, like you said, like, this was what, what influenced you, and here you are, and finally, and I think, I think that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a little biased, I probably shouldn't say it, but, mm -hmm. you know, I'm mm -hmm. 10 years in, I think there's something in the water in some places and spaces <laughs> in Philadelphia <laughs> mm -hmm. that keeps mm -hmm. people oppressed, and wants mm -hmm. to keep them oppressed. Because how is it possible that Henry Oswald Tanner, again, just getting on a ship and sailing to Paris, became the darling of, of Europe and a, a very celebrated painter, uh, an American painter of the world over because he left Philadelphia? People could see his genius in Europe, but they couldn't see it in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So it's, yeah, not, it's, know, not the first, it it's not the first time. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And I, I have to go in my yeah, from that time. I, yeah. I also have to go forward in time and come to uh, uh, Elaine Locke, uh, who was actually the dean of the Harlem Renaissance. And uh -huh. Mr. Locke, uh, people think of him as the father of the Harlem Renaissance or the dean, the person who put it together, also from Philadelphia. He tried yeah. to get what is now the Harlem Renaissance started in Philadelphia, bringing together artists and intellectuals and thinkers. And he could not do it. Mm. He had to leave Philadelphia and get on a train and go to Harlem, where he was able to recruit and bring forward what we now know as the Harlem Renaissance. He could not do it. Elaine Leroy from Philadelphia could not do it in Philadelphia. He tried and failed. So I am mm. of the mindset uh, between those two stories and many others that I know of people who, uh, you know, have tried to, to build out uh, things, and that's no shade to Philadelphia, I want to be very clear, but there's an intentionality here uh, in my mind uh, that somehow the greatness is unable to be celebrated. Uh, and, you know, the, the Harlem Renaissance could have been the West Philadelphia Renaissance and moving it to the national uh -huh. and international, what we know today as the Harlem Renaissance. And so we, we see the Brothers Network as a direct descendant of the Harlem Renaissance. And, you know, and, and like uh, Mr. Locke, we have been able to expand outside of, of Philadelphia, obviously, but it is our home. It is where we were founded. Um, Philadelphia also was the capital of the United States, and that moved to Washington. Uh, if you're familiar with the Black Elite Society, Jack and Jill was also founded mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, right? Many, many things were founded in Philadelphia, but they all leave. 
Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. have to look at this from with some sort of a critical eye. Someone who's doing his or her PhD or dissertation sometime will look at that in the future and say, what is it about these black entities uh, in Philadelphia that have uh, been more successful outside of Philly than in the town in which they tried to start or in which they tried to uh, begin themselves? So I'll, I'll stop with there. I'll stop there. Right. Well, you know, because it's interesting because also when you think of Philadelphia, you think of the Liberty Bell, the Declaration of Independence, all of these these things about freedom. But these artists, these thinkers, these because of the color of their skin, had to leave. What was what many people think like this is this is just like ground zero for liberty and freedom, yeah. and they had to leave. You know. But, you know, I want to be clear. I think it's a both and. I think that some people, and, and, you know, W.E.B. Du Bois talks about what we're talking about in the context of the Philadelphia Negro, and he talks about the real detail of the Philadelphia Negro is that when he was doing his research in the city of Philadelphia for what became the Philadelphia Negro, the first essay of, of really looking at how attitudes, mores, and customs, he found that the individuals with whom he was uh, surveying, they were very close-minded. And, and not willing to talk. And that was different than what he had experienced in other places in the, in, the, in the country when he was doing his research. So the Philadelphia Negro, I had to go back and reread it, Michelle, uh, when, it, when I started to organize the Brothers Network here. And I said, oh, okay, I, I get it. People are not going to be warm and friendly. Uh, and, and Du Bois told me that. In, uh-huh. in, in the book, when we're talking about double consciousness, I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, it's always like, okay, it's uh-huh. not me, you know, um, it's, it's the nature of the geography, right? And so, you know, we too have expanded into Paris, and so we can talk about that later in this conversation. But, you know, you have to start here if you want, anyone can start here, but you also have to expand in, from, from Philadelphia to, to continue and sustain and maintain. Uh, our, our, our anniversary is coming up, and we came to bring that back to home to Philadelphia because that is where we started, and we hope people will come out and celebrate in Philadelphia. People can come here from Washington and from New York uh, to celebrate with us, but, and we continue to do our program and events and have our experiences here because we want to continue to engage and inform not only black people but the larger community about how great black people are. It, it is really something that uh, you talk about so brilliantly, living between the spaces and operating at the intersections of not only who we are but who we project. And we want the yeah. next generation to know that. Uh, we just brought on a new board member who is a, a student at the University of Pennsylvania uh, as an African-American man, and he lives in the Du Bois house. And, you know, there's this very this isolation between what I call town and gown, right, between the city mm-hmm. itself and then gown, the university. So there's all of this talent and uh, richness and wealth within the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where Du Bois was, and then there's nothing that seeps over into the, the greater community. It's almost as if uh, it's somewhere else. It's another planet. Um, and yet it's, you know, just uh, 20 short blocks away from, from the, center, the center of Philadelphia. But, but my, my, my focus is Black Beyond Boundaries at the Brothers Network. Mm-hmm. And we, like the Harlem Renaissance, we want to continue to tell the world, and we could do that with digital media and social media, how great black men are. Um, there's a real anti-blackness and an anti-maleness we see, anti-blackness, we see anti-maleness as well in our society. And... Um, we want to let people know that, you know, uh, some of the patriarchy is not coming from black men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's but just we're, not. We, we're not in positions of power. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our, our first quick break here. And, um, As you wish. And when we come back, I want to talk a little I want to talk more about the Brothers Network and and a lot of breaking these these stereotypes, these ways of thinking. So we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Well, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Gregory Walker, the founder and creative director of the Brothers Network. You know, um, there's, it's funny how we sometimes ostracize ourselves, particularly when it comes to, like, these images of what it is to be a black gay man. I'm a black man, not not just gay, but, but you know what? If you, if you show an interest in thinking, you know, or something other than that, then you have to prove that, you know, well, you have to be a man, you know, are you, are you really being a man or or are you trying to be white? Are you trying to be whatever? I know I had a, well, actually it's like, I don't know what to once removed, twice removed or my father had a cousin who had left teaching, which his family considered a very honorable profession and went into acting. And even though he achieved acclaim as an actor to his, my father's father and my cousin's father, it was like, you know, but, you know, he left teaching to do this. And there's that part that we have that creative genius that somehow society has sort of said doesn't want to recognize coming from black men. Yeah, it's one of the many tropes and misguided notions that we as black men burden has, have, have as a burden, right? And so mm-hmm. our, our, our sexual orientation, whatever that might be, or mm-hmm. all of that continues to, to, to you know, it's, some, some years ago there was a study out of uh, the country of Jamaica. There were, they studied uh, boys who were straight-A students, K through six, and then when the boys got into seventh grade, which is junior high school in Jamaica, and they started getting D's and F's. And so they, they said they noticed this phenomenon over a 10-year period. And so they, they asked the boys, why did your grades go from A's and, A's and B's to D's and F's? And they said, well, I didn't want to be called faggot mm. by my mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. So this idea of being intellectual somehow has an uneven parallel with being intelligent and being smart. And so no one wanted to be called faggot. So the boy mm-hmm. said, I, it's better for me to be dumb than be called faggot and get D's and F's than be called faggot. No one mm. wanted that. 
So we talk yeah. about the internal and external barriers of, of being black and, and a man in our society around the world. Uh, you know, one of the things I'm always reminded of is that, and I, I think it's okay to say this, I think the world knows this by now, we talk about actors often, and we talk about George Jefferson, who was iconic, uh, the character who mm-hmm. played George Jefferson, Sherman Hemsley, who played Mary to Louise, and he was openly gay, and from Philadelphia as well. Now, people mm. may be surprised by that. Right. <laughs> because they don't think of George Jefferson fitting the tropes of what perhaps they think a gay man is like. Um, the, the people are familiar with the show starring the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The, the father uh, on that show was also an openly gay man, mm-hmm. right, coming into our homes every day uh, as an openly gay man. Uh, so, you know, and he was playing a straight man with kids. So this idea of gay actors playing straight men from the black community has long been uh, normalized in some places and spaces, but not in others. You know, so we'll come and tune in to, to the Jeffersons every day. We'll come and watch reruns of, of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And we're watching a gay man actually do his thing. You know, and this is what acting is. And someone's sexuality is not necessarily a limitation to what they can do. In fact, I think it's really uh, looks at the broadness of how they can continue to play these roles mm-hmm. uh, outside of a stereotype. And that's what we all do in life. We all play roles. We're all actors in our own right. And we don't necessarily uh, fit into neat little boxes about what it is. And it saddens me that someone could be stopped uh, because of his sexuality or his perceived sexuality or not make his way in life because you know what if we didn't have uh, gay men out front no pardon the pun uh, and that brings me to James Baldwin we wouldn't have black liberation right because mm-hmm. James Baldwin mm-hmm. talked about liberation and he talked about black liberation and there's so many other people who have led uh, so many other men black men who have led who also were homosexual Again, not mm-hmm. focused on gay rights, but on the rights of black people and the inclusion of black people in mainstream society. The March on Washington was put together by Thank a you. black man who was, was gay. Right? Oh, that, that's exactly right. what I, I was just thinking about that, you know, as you were uh-huh. talking about that. And, you know, and the uh-huh, fact that... Uh-huh. And let's say, I mean, let's say Bayard Rustin is who we're talking about, for those who may not yeah. know. Bay- Bayard Rustin was, uh-huh. was someone who was gay. And I don't use the word openly gay. I just say gay. You know, uh, everyone knew in the movement that he was gay. And uh, he, he proceeded to, to, to put that together. You know, you, you know these are the, the misguided notions about what it means to be, uh, you know, straight or gay or whatever. Uh, it's irrelevant to, to the work that one is doing, or let's say choose to make it relevant. That's why I bring up uh, George Jefferson and I bring up, uh, you know, uh, the gentleman who is the actor from, whose name escaped me, I'm so sorry, uh, from, uh, people can Google it though, of course, uh, mm-hmm. from, from mm-hmm. Uh, Fresh Prince of the Bel-Air, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, openly gay. You know, I mm-hmm. had the pleasure of meeting uh, Sherman Hemsley, and I'll tell you, his character is very different than, than who he is in person. You know, very, very funny. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it is. And who knows what people are doing and who knows what they're doing, you know, in the privacy of their bedroom. Uh, and I, I would also add that many men today do not have the luxury, who are black, do not have the luxury, uh, historically didn't have the luxury to letting everybody know what their sexual orientation is. They just didn't have it. You know, James Baldwin has a great clip that he says, you know, he tri- hit the trifecta. He's black, gay, and poor. 
you know, and uh, <laughs> and he was being ironic, of course, that being the trifecta. But really, mm-hmm. it's, it's three ways to set yourself back, being, you know, black, gay, poor, and a man, really. Um, it, you know, it's, it's an unbelievable, and it's really the heroism that you talk about uh, of these people and using language to move ourselves forward and in a way that is intentional. Well, you know, and the Harlem Renaissance was, mm-hmm. no, please, I'm sorry, go ahead. All right, but, you know, I think that the other thing, too, is that, because right, you made the thing about the, the young people and then how their grades dropped, and because they didn't want to be perceived as gay, okay? But sure. also there's a part that is sort of like, well, okay, well, we can entertain, you know, and, and, oh, and if you're gay, well, then you might be an entertainer, but, or, or we can be an entertainment. But we have people, like Baird Rustin was a great strategist, we have great thinkers. We have educators yes, from that That's who right. are black men. And when you hear them talk about, oh, there aren't enough black male teachers and there aren't enough this and that, but they're there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, black mm-hmm. men are not just, you know, I don't know. I don't know what, what I, they I want can to say that, you know, being. yeah, I can say mm-hmm. that, you know, today you and I have lived long enough to see. I think um, much more openness and um, inclusivity around uh, gender and sexuality uh, in the world and in the workplace. And, um, and I think that people are less, in my mind, I don't know, I have no data, are, are less homophobic perhaps than they were 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, and I think even in, and I applaud the people who sort of uh, stand up proudly and boldly and say what their sexuality is. I, I applaud them and they go into work and everything's fine, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and generations before that, certainly people did that as well. Uh, but I, I continue to think that that has made liberation and that certainly marriage equality has, has helped people to, to move forward. And we now have a greater understanding of what I call the multiplicity of identity. Um, mm-hmm. I think before marriage equality and before the 90s, there was a singular idea about what it meant to be gay or a singular identity, what it means to be black. And I think that both of those are continuously moving forward. And then to have a combination of those things, to be black and gay, continues to evolve about what that means. Uh, we are now in, in the height of, of a Me Too movement, and we see white straight men being taken down left, right, and center mm-hmm. as engaging in inappropriate activities, sexual activities towards, towards women, and that saddens me. And prior to this point, these men, because they were white and male, were given basically uh, free reign, quite frankly. Uh-huh. The number uh-huh. of white men, right, I like to say white males, have been given free reign, and no one ever questioned that. And, you know, it goes back to a, a book that I, I love so much called Stamped from the Beginning. That messaging about sexual proclivity or sexual aggressiveness was placed on black men. Well, we see now that uh-huh. it's actually white men who are doing all of this kind of uh, sex in the workplace and inappropriateness, not uh-huh. black men. Right? Mm-hmm. Sexually aggressive exactly. and, and sexual predators. It's actually white mm-hmm. men who are predatory in their actions and reactions with their coworkers and, and inappropriate with women and subordinates. Right? We see that in a large way every single day, and we see it at the highest office, quite frankly, from, I'll say it, from Bill Clinton to the president who is now in the, in the and I'm talking about mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Yep. Having sex yep. outside of the marriage, we did not have that with, with, uh, with Barack Obama, and we never had it mm-hmm. with Barack Obama, but we see both Bill Clinton and we see it here with Donald Trump. 
the inappropriateness sexually. And this is the idea from Birth of a Nation, a film, the first film from the early 1900s, not the second one, uh, that stereotyped the African-American man as a sexual predator, mm-hmm. you know, and always craving after the white woman. The fact of the matter is the curtain has been revealed, and we see that this was, uh, you know, they were putting that on, they're putting, I think I can use this word, they were putting that shit on us, and it wasn't exactly. us, it was them. Exactly, You know, when you stop and you think that here, you know, Emmett Till... That's was right. Lynched. Yes, for ma'am. For being accused of offending a white woman. And here yes, ma'am. you have That's a man right. in the White House who said he grabbed him by the, you know. <laughs> That's right. That's know, right. And, and yeah. he got elected president. I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think I was selected president. Let's be mindful of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, we had yeah. we, the Electoral College did what they do, and that's mm-hmm. largely white males who are in the Electoral College, largely. Mm-hmm. And uh, they selected him president. Mrs. Clinton did, in fact, win the general, the general yeah. election. And mm-hmm. somehow, I don't know how it was, how it was possible, but, uh, you know, he was then selected president by the Electoral College, which is what it says in the Constitution. So, um, but, but, you know, we, we have to talk about the moral decline and decay in our, our, our society today. And the Brothers Network works to encourage that we have a democracy that is fair and equitable and shows the multiplicity of identity of who and what African-American men are because it is authentic. And you're right, Michelle, we have had to work twice as hard, really five times as hard as uh, everyone else. And, and this is why I, I still say, and I'm joking when I say this, that, you know, Barack Obama is still my president. Um, okay. Because... I know that's, I know he's not, but he really is my president, you know. Um, and we, it was a great article that ta Coates wrote, and it was about when my president was black. And it was none of the kinds of things that we see happening around the world globally uh, that we see, and I don't want to be too political with, with this current president. But I do want to talk about it is more important uh, than ever that uh, the representations and images of uh, authentic and smart and intelligent uh, black people and black men are in the forefront because what we see uh, concurrently with Me Too is the overt murders, overt direct murders mm-hmm. of black men every single day. And that's because uh, the Brothers Network has not had as much of an impact as we would like for us to have. We want everyone well, you, to know. Mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. Well, you know, but, that, but that, that's a very good point because one would think, okay, that you started Brothers Network, you know, pre-Obama. And then here yes. we had a, a black president and we have right. supposedly made all these advancements, but it seems more than ever, more than ever, there's a need for exactly what the Brothers Network is about. Well, I'm glad you said it, and I hope yeah. that your listeners will, will go on and donate so that we can keep our work going. I believe that we're the only organization in the country and maybe the world who amplifies the brilliance of who and what black men are through the arts. Right? Mm-hmm. And not starting from a prison based narrative, because there's a lot of organizations that look at prison and say, oh, you know, um, I'm going to be inappropriate. You know, this gentleman, Rahim, was in jail. Now he has a job. No, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. We say, you know, Coleman Domingo was never in jail. 
right? Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. He, he keeps me writing plays and telling stories and narratives. He was never in jail, right? And he gets to be on television and stages. And so we want the students at uh, universities and colleges to know they don't have to go to jail and then they can be redeemed. They can actually just go right into college or university or become a playwright or a curator. They don't have to go to jail first. And no one seems to have taken on this as a mantle. I'd love for the Brothers Network to be duplicated and copied uh, in a way that is larger and bigger than what we've been able to do. I would love that. That would be the highest honor. So that it is a movement so that black men who are in university and in college can say, oh, I can be a curator. I can be an actor. I can be like any number of people. And I'll say, you know, uh, I'll just, who comes to my mind? Uh, so many people, I don't want to blow your cover because you would say who you're going to talk about earlier, Arthur, Arthur Mitchell. I can be like mm-hmm. Arthur Mitchell. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I can be Arthur Mitchell. I can be this amazing dancer. I can do that and not be subjected to by his own community or other communities saying you're this or that if you're, you're like Arthur Mitchell. Um, I, I really love the fact that you have me on today, and I appreciate the opportunity to share what it is that we're doing. And we do it not only for the black community, but we do it for white people too. And we do it for Asian people, and we do it for Latino people, and we also do it for policemen. We mm. want policemen to know that when you see a young black man walking down the street, he may be just coming from his playwriting class. Thank you. At, at the University of the Arts. He mm-hmm. just may be coming from his class at the University of Pennsylvania where he's learning about economics, right? He's mm-hmm. not a thug. He's not a criminal, right? Or he may be in his apartment, his own apartment, minding his own business, and you somehow <laughs> end up in the wrong apartment at the, the wrong, wrong day, <laughs> right? right? And your out, first you know? response, well, you know, I hope you figure it out. I don't know when this is going to air. I hope you figure <laughs> yeah. it out, right? Uh-huh. Right? And, and, you know, I can't breathe. I have asthma, right? I have asthma. I can't breathe. I'm not the thug selling Lucy's, right? We want to have people and we want to have the police understand. We want to have every citizen who's in a jury, right, because we have citizens who are in jury boxes. We want to have every person who is involved directly or indirectly interacting with a black man that he is not a thug. He is not a criminal. He's a playwright. He's a storyteller. He's a rapper. He's a musician. And maybe he's even a dancer. That's why he's so athletic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right? and that is so important for the discourse of this country to recognize. Yes, I mean, because, you know, we're very quick to put out, you, you, like you said, there's people, and if they see a young person, not thinking that they might be an artist, they might be doing all of this, they just go like, well, he's young, he's black, his pants were sagging. He must have been doing something wrong. No. And for your your listeners who who know me, uh, listeners who don't know me, when when Sagging Pants first came out, and it was a long time ago, it was almost almost 30 years ago, I used to have my pants sagging as well because it was a really cool fashion trend, right? Mm -hmm. And so I used to wear saggy pants too. My mother didn't like it, uh, but it doesn't really matter, right, because here I am today. But the point I'm making is that it's not how you wear your pants, it's what's in your head. So mm-hmm. your pants can sag, but it's what's in your head and what's in your heart. So sagging mm-hmm. pants is no representation of the fact of your brilliance. It is not a measure of your talent. It is not a measure of your intention. It is not a, ma- a measure of who you are and your character. So let's not get it twisted. And let me be clear. Mm-hmm. This gentleman who was in his own home, in his own home, <laughs> I don't know if he had pants on or not. <laughs> right? so, 
you know, I don't think they were sagging, but if they were, he were in his own home, and he was shot twice in his own home. You know, we have to think, and this is what I ask people to do. There's another podcast where I say, I want everyone just to take, and I'm going to say now four seconds. I used to say two seconds. Take four seconds when you see a black man coming towards you in the streets of Detroit or San Francisco or Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia, and think twice. And just think for four seconds. Is this a playwright? Uh-huh. Is this an author of a book? Is this someone working on a dissertation? He has a backpack. Is it someone selling Lucy's? Is, is he a terrible person? I would argue he's not. And uh-huh. we at the Brothers Network dismantle and debunk these negative images, right? And I, I say to my black community, just think about that. You've been watching these reruns of uh, Fresh Prince of the Bel-Air and didn't realize that the father, in fact, was, was a gay man. You've been watching uh, the Jeffersons and didn't realize that George Jefferson was black. So these myths about who gay men are, these myths about who black men are, are in fact just that, myths. They're just I myths. Mean, and, you know, and even when you stop, I mean, there's so many, what you're doing to me, part of why it's so important is, is as you show these, not only for the young African-American community, not only for young people, not only for white people, but how you think about it. What are we putting into education that, you know, what aren't we putting in education that is fertilizing these minds so that they can go ahead? If you have, yeah. you, know, you know, what are we thinking about making sure that people have economic equality, that their people are That's eating right. right, so that, that, that these right. are these future minds, and are we going to just like, you know, if you can have a garden, but if you don't tend that garden and do it, nothing will grow. And That's right. That's right. We have been, and there's nothing to say, we didn't all of a sudden start making dumb babies. You know, there's an <laughs> you know, really, we didn't start, you know, you know, we're still making, you know, the next, you know, Arthur Miller, the next Mitchell. one is, is, is be, right. Mitchell is being born today. I mean, yeah, and if he's, we he's, already, he's already on the playground right now, jumping yeah, and exactly. leaping right now, right? And, and, and he's already jumping and leaping, and, and the next playwright is now in the corner in, in fifth grade or in eighth grade writing stories, mm-hmm. and he's the next August Wilson, right? And the kid who can't put down the crayon is the next who's on my board, Cosmo White, right? And he may be of mm-hmm. Jamaican descent, right? Cosmo mm-hmm. White is in, you know, teaching at Morehouse University, right, on the faculty, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. as this prolific artist and, and shows his work around the world with, with chalk, right, mm-hmm. and images, right, because this is what it has to be. My board is filled, my board, my, 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 my national advisory board is filled with men who make the difference, choose to show work that is positive and all reflects on uh, place and displacement and how we have continued to excel in spite of, pardon the pun, uh, someone's foot on our neck. Thank you. you. Know, for a black man to, to make it to 18, to make it to 21, to make it to, to 35, to make it to university professor, or just make it home from work and his job as a security guard at the museum is a feat in and of and to itself. And we as a community, right, we need to hug our brothers and love them for who they are uh-huh. and where they are. Uh-huh. Because every single day is a struggle. 
And this is not to just you know, disparage anything about black, black women. You and I are brothers and sisters in the spirit. You already know mm-hmm. that because we've worked together mm-hmm. on a project previously. And so I have as much respect for black women who recognize the, the trouble and difficulty that they have. But I can say uh, without a doubt that we at the Brothers Network want to be sure that everybody recognizes and acknowledges the brilliance and who and what African-American men are. I mean, the difficulty, uh, the death threats, for example, that, that, that President Barack Obama has had to endure based on his race and his gender and any person who runs for public office who is, who is male or female uh, has to endure. I mean, it is unbelievable who, who is black. What kind of world are we living in? Uh-huh. What uh-huh. kind of world are we living in? And so the Brothers Network is focused on democracy and making sure that it is equitable and that we have a chance to engage people in the larger community about how brilliant black men are and acknowledge that. You know, and our, you know our, it takes nothing away from anyone else when we recognize uh-huh. that this, this young student who is a black man uh, studying economics is, is a threat to you. He's just not a threat to you. Uh-huh. He's just now, not. you know, I think that, that, that it, it's... It's great, too, that the Brothers Network, okay, now we've mentioned people who are gay, but the Brothers Network is about brothers, black That's men. You know, That's correct. Men. That's correct. And, and when, you, when you started it and you went out and you started to talk to people, and even now, do you have to have that conversation with, with people that, you know, you should be a part of the Brothers Network, or do people get it, that it's not about <laughs> gay, straight, it's about black men? Well, black it's men. interesting. It's, it's interesting that you say that. You're making me laugh uh, because I have all of these stories in my head that I've, you know, I've experienced. Um, you know, I think that because we are arts-focused, people default to, oh, it must be gay. Right. So I think there's a number of people in the black and white community or funders who think, oh, well, it must be gay because it's about arts and culture. Right. High art and high culture. And I think anybody who's associated with the arts, uh, museums, literature, they think that's hoity toity. Uh, So we get both. Oh, it must be a gay organization or it must be a bourgeoisie organization and not a social enterprise nonprofit. Right. We use art. As, as social change, right? We go back mm-hmm. to the Harlem Renaissance, and plenty of people who were gay were involved in the uh, in the in the in the, uh, in the in the Harlem Renaissance were gay and lesbian, right? We can look at mm-hmm. any arts movement, any cultural movement, and plenty of people who were gay who were involved. That is not the focus of the movement. The focus is about black people. We can look at James Baldwin. You know, very few of his uh, stories were about you know the queer identity that he experienced. We saw him writing most brilliantly about white gay men in Paris in Giovanni's room. It was not about the black gay experience. It was about white, white gay men in Paris. Mm-hmm. I mean, how brilliant was Mr. Baldwin, right? Let me just take a mm-hmm. moment and acknowledge that. Um, it wasn't about the black gay experience in so many of his essays. Um, and, you know, what I love most about Baldwin is when he says, you know, I'm not your nigger. And he talks about why the nigger was created or why the faggot was created. I'll take it mm-hmm. one step further. And that's to make other people feel good, right? So, so they, yep. white people created the nigger because they wanted somebody to kick on. So other people want to create this idea of the faggot because then they can look down and say, look at their, their heterosexual identity as superior. That's why they created the faggot. Someone said to me, uh, this is about 10 years ago, uh, you know, is it a problem that there's some gay men in the organization? And I said, I don't even know who's gay and who's not. That's not why people are there. Mm-hmm. People, people are there to discuss the book. You know, we actually read Giovanni's Room and discussed 
and the professor who led it, uh, I don't think anybody's sexuality was the focus, any of the attendees, their sexuality was the focus. Um, so, so I think that, you know, we live in a world where, and more now than ever, we have these broad ideas of individuals, but we also have these minor, uh, these small things that are holding us back personally. Um, you know, gay men are not overly sexualized. What we see now actually is white males who are overly sexualized in the workplace. It's not gay men. So gay men can be in a room with black straight men and no one's hitting on anyone. What we need to be worried about, the predatory behavior is coming from white males. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's where the predatory behavior is coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And my, mm-hmm. my heart goes out to every woman in this country and around the world who is listening, where she is subjected to uh, possibly getting a promotion or a movie, far, a movie part excuse me, in a film, and she has to perform some sort of a sexual act. That is not what black gay men are doing, nor has it ever been. Right, and and so really, since I'm since I'm on live, I'm going to keep going and talk about we sometimes have a misguided notion about uh, sexual promiscuity, and I think really we have to look at white males uh, and white straight females and this notion of HIV uh, transmission, because I suspect mm-hmm. that many of these predatory experiences were non-protected, were unprotected. Yeah, mm-hmm. I said it. Yeah. So, I mean, if yeah. there's a, you know, and I'll say it, you know, the current president, mm-hmm. I, it's unclear to me if he's using condoms and protecting himself or if he's on PrEP or if he's been mm-hmm. tested for HIV. I said it. Right. Mm-hmm. But what we know is that he has a long history of using and misusing women's body for his own gain while he was married. Mm-hmm. Stormy Daniels, that story's wait, waiting to come out. What's going to happen? I mean, it is frightening when we look at sex workers, white female sex workers. I'm way off topic, but it's relevant to me. Um, and we haven't talked about this notion of HIV transmission. People always focus on black gay men and HIV transmission. What about the white female sex worker who's having heterosexual, unprotected heterosexual sex with the president, former president, current mm-hmm. president, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I always feel the president is, is, I'm talking about Donald Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the kinds of things that we have to be mindful of and open our eyes. Lift the veil. Pull the curtain back. And then when, I mean, because when you stop and you talk about that, and again, it goes back to so many levels of justice because you understand that, okay, he has access to health care, medical care, and to right. things that many people in communities of color, it's there, but we don't have access to it. That is correct. That is correct. Oh well, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers. These black people are getting, and you know, and it's like, well, guess what? You know, yeah, just as many of you are doing it, you know, but you don't talk about us. That's right. You don't talk about us. That's right. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that, you know, the Brothers Network, while we're not a health organization, while we're not a gay organization, but we are an organization engaged in democracy and fairness and equitable representation. And that's what democracy is about. It's about fairness and representation. And we want to be sure that we clock the number of and we tag and we, 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 we have the statistical, statistical data on the number of uh, white female sex workers who transmitted, sexually transmitted diseases to white straight men. Right, because that's a high number, and it's sad and unfortunate. We we want to make sure that that's images that's correct, right? It's not just black mm-hmm. gay men, because black gay men are busy leading movements, writing plays, and uh, choreographing, and on Broadway, doing a whole bunch of other stuff that everybody else is doing, you know. Um, and, and many of those men are, of course, part of the Brothers Network, and and 
part of other institutions and organizations and movements. Um, and I love that, you know, people call us the modern day Harlem Renaissance, where sex was not the focus, it was arts and culture. Mm-hmm. Right? I love the fact that we are considered that. There's, there's black men who are opera singers. So, so what, you know, oftentimes, you know, one of the things that my board and I uh, have talked about extensively is do we change our name? Because immediately when people hear, quote, the Brothers Network, uh, our society is rigged to think that it is about criminal justice or mentorship mm. programs or, or gay. And that's mm. not what our focus is at all. And so right below the Brothers Network, it says art, culture, dialogue, and discourse. It says it. And we're not going to change our name. Um, we're yeah. going to continue to inform and engage and enlighten uh, folks, uh, black and white, young and old, straight and gay, uh, that that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're telling you how great black men are. We're not focused on, uh, and we keep telling these great stories over and over and over and over. And, you know, thank you for having me on today um, as an opportunity coming up on our, on our anniversary to uh, engage and inform the larger community around arts and culture and letting people know how great black men are. Um, well, yeah, those I'm are the narratives that we put out. Well, we're going to take our second break. Then I want to, I've got one question for you. Then we're going to come back and talk about this anniversary celebration. So Absolutely. we will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Gregory Walker, who is the founder of the Brothers Network. You know, one of the things that, that I also hear that, that, you know, I we talked about how you started like before the Obama um, administration, but you know what, there's been a huge change in technology since the Brothers Network started. And as you're doing this, and you're lifting up these black men who are doing so much, do you see an impact on communities of color, particularly men of color, um, from across the African diaspora who, because of colonialism, because of economic conditions, might be looking, not seeing themselves as achieving these things? And do you feel that that's a, a role that you're also playing, that, you know, you're not just lifting up black men here, but black men across the world who might look and say, hey, you know, I might tell the story of my community in Wakanda, you know, and, and lift, up, lift up that community. 
yeah, so, so you know, one of the things about technology, to your point, so the answer to the question is yes. Um, we continue to expand across the pond in, into France, and we continue to have uh, brothers in the continent, on the continent of Africa, who follow us online, who are interested in our content, and they continue to see that because they want to see uh, these fully fleshed out images of these three-dimensional uh, characterizations and authentic characterizations around innovation about what is possible for them, right? And so not only college and university students, but also just students and people of life who want to see that. And, you know, people look at America as this sort of great, great place and what can be accomplished here. And in that regard, so yes, our, our growth continues. We wouldn't be around if we were not having an impact uh, in, in, in and on uh, men of the African diaspora, uh, you know, in Africa and you know, on the continent and throughout this country and, and in Europe as well and throughout. Um, and I love that, you know, and radio and, 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 you know, technology has really changed that. I was regular featured on a, on a radio station that comes from Philadelphia, but it goes throughout the world. And so it's through that we were able to get a lot more people than I thought we were listening at, I don't know, four in the morning or something um, to, to the radio show as we were talking about what the Brothers Network does. And so they were able to follow us uh, on, on Twitter. And so we're really happy about that. Um, what, I, what I think, though, I just want to be clear, is that technology is a both and. Um, people sometimes stay inside of a bubble in their technology and they don't reach out. And so I, I would encourage black women to uh, let, let, let us come into your world and, you know, we're not taking anything away from black women. We're talking about your uncle and your father and your son and your grandson and your nephew. All of these black men need to have connectedness to other black men and acknowledge that and, and good black men and good role models. Mm -hmm. um, I know nothing away from female headed, taking nothing away from female uh, led households, nothing at all. Uh, but we want to let people know that, you know, all kinds of things are possible. So if your son is coloring, let him color. If your son is doing flips and doing gymnastics, uh, let him do that, right? Because maybe that's the next Arthur Mitchell, mm -hmm. right? If your son talks mm -hmm. in funny voices, maybe that's the next, you know, August Wilson or Coleman Domingo. Let him do that. These ideas around uh, everybody having to play basketball or, you know, or everybody having to play football, th those are great, but most people are not going to make it into the NBA. That's just not possible. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Quite frankly, mm -hmm. it's easier to be a physician, it's easier to be a medical doctor than it is to be in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I'll say it again. Mm -hmm. It's easier to be a physician, a doctor, and there's always sick people. That job is never going to go out of style. And even if you injure your knee, you can still be a doctor. Uh, but if you're in the NBA, NBA, you might play two seasons and you're done. So the goal is really to make sure that we feature as many black men who become doctors and who are in law school and who become lawyers. That's a long-time career with a lot of money, with a big payout, if that's your goal. And I encourage people to uh, go see uh, theater as much as they can. You know, we at the Brothers Network offer free and or discount tickets uh, through some of our funders. We're able to do that for a variety of people to see shows where there's a black man who's an opera singer. We love to be able to do that so that we can look at the possibilities of possibilities for, for black people. It's more than football. It's more than baseball. It's more than basketball. And, and that's around the country or more than, you know, soccer. We don't have to hang all of our hopes on that singular hope to make it into fame. Uh, Broadway is 
here and it's going to stay there for a very long time and you know what your son can be on Broadway one day uh, if you have one so so I just want us all to be open to to that and I, and I say to people please don't be afraid of the black man uh, we at the Brothers Network want to dismantle and debunk these myths around fear of the black man and uh, put out a, a new uh, image uh, and just know that every black man has not been to jail or incarcerated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. you know, there was a, and, yeah, and, sure. and some who have been into jail and been incarcerated <laughs> have come out and gone on to do great things, you know. <laughs> Yeah. That, that's right. That's right. But 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 I want to say that you know I really push. I'm going to push back a little bit and say, but most of us haven't. Most mm-hmm. black men that's have not true. been to jail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most have not. Mm-hmm. There was an awful statistic that unfortunately was repeated. It said they were. I won't even repeat it. I'll just say, uh, this, the fact of the matter is there are more black men in college and university in this country than involved in the criminal justice system. I'll say mm-hmm. it again. There are more black men involved in colleges and university than there are involved in the criminal justice system. That is a fact. Say that one I'll more say time. I'll say it a third time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there are more black men involved in colleges and in university, matriculating, taking classes, getting credit, moving towards a degree, than are involved in the criminal justice system. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'll say it again. My name is Gregory Walker, and if anybody wants to refute that, that's a sad idea to refute, but it is a fact. And there was another narrative that was out that said something different. So I'll say it a fourth time. The more black men involved in colleges and university, and let's lift those men up, right, because they're out there struggling and alone because when they're walking down the street, whether it's in New York or Detroit or Philadelphia or Chicago or Los Angeles or driving their car, unfortunately, the police believe that they are a criminal, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the stories I like to tell, I can't tell it in great detail, but I have a friend who's a policeman in a major city, and he's a policeman, and he was driving home from work, and he was not in uniform, but in his own car, and he was afraid as the, the marked cruiser was behind him, because he thought, oh, no, there's a dark area coming up. The police are behind me, although he's a cop himself, and he was afraid of his, his fellow uh, coworkers, because he knows mm. how they respond when they see a single black man Mm-hmm. driving alone uh, in a neighborhood. And he was frightened. Who was, he's a cop himself, again, out of uniform, uh, of the police. Yet mm-hmm. he's a cop himself, almost a 25-year veteran. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the, mm-hmm. the, the fear is real, and we at the Brothers Network want to continue to dismantle and debunk this myth of the, the black man as a boogeyman. That's just not true. Mm-hmm. It's well, just it, not true. It, it, it really, it really is not true. So, congratulations. I mean, thank you. This is a, this is a, a, a for most or many organizations, you know, don't make it this far. But you, you've held the course. You've done this. Tell us about this celebration that you coming have coming up for on October twelfth. I want to say I'm tired, Michelle. I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> I'm tired, okay, um, because you're, you're battling the internal and external. On October 12th, uh, 2018, the Brothers Network celebrates its 10-year anniversary. We're honoring uh, Flood the Drummer Norris, who is a prolific uh, writer. Uh, he's an Apple podcaster as well. He's from Philadelphia. Um, he's a real justice advocate. 
and yeah. he engages uh, and forces the police to take uh, make themselves accountable for what their actions are. And so we applaud his actions, and we applaud his writing. We applaud him protesting. Uh, so it's it's he's the first person that we're uh, Chris Flood, the drummer Norris. We're honoring him. The second person that we're honoring, and not, and not in any order here, is uh, a Japanese American man who owns a coffee shop in Philadelphia called Elixir. And I don't want to do too much of a plug, but it's at Elixir where the Brothers Network holds their salons on a regular basis. And um, we couldn't be any happier than, like the Harlem Renaissance, to hold our salons and conversations and dialogues at Elixir, the coffee shop, right? And so we have allies across, across the board, racial, racial, racial board, I have no idea what anybody's sexuality is, um, who, who allow us to, to, to do that because he understands uh, Evan Inamome he allows us to, to be there on a regular basis and have these dialogues and bring our board in and have a conversation with our board members and talk about what we're doing and talk about the issues that are relevant for black men and how we are not uh, the stereotypes that people make us out. And so we're so happy to honor Evan from Elixir Cafe, the owner. Um, and the third person, if people know the roots, uh, then they, they probably are, are familiar <laughs> with Dice, Dice Raw. Uh, Dice Raw is, in his own right, um, a rapper and performer and playwright and renaissance man. Uh, his album just dropped a little bit ago uh, called The Narrative, which really speaks to the experiences of broad and deep experiences of, of black men in America. And so we're thrilled to honor, honor those, three, those three men. And... Um, so, so that's what we're doing. We're doing a, a black tie event as well around that, an award ceremony, giving those awards. We have a five-course dinner, and we're playing with this idea of black beyond boundaries, and we're looking at black food. And I say black food, and people think fried chicken and, and collard greens. <laughs> And uh, it's something that I play with, but, you know, there's something called really amazing. It's called black salt, right? It comes from Hawaii. And so we are having black salt sprinkled on the squid ink pasta, which is also black, with the mussels, right? Because black mussels are black, right? So we're looking at black beans. We're going to have our chef play with these ideas. And you get a choice. You could not have the black food. You can get the regular food if you want or the irregular food. But we're also going to play with this idea of really ingesting and, you know, taking a moment to sit and acknowledge that black is not bad. It is good. It is delicious. Mm -hmm. It is wonderful. It is rich. It is vibrant. It is sustaining us, right? And in many places, in most places, black food is a delicacy. Uh, so we wanted to play with that and charcoal colored ice cream and a number of other things that we're, we're going to do. And then we'll end the evening with two other things. So the premiere of a play by an African-American woman, Lynn Nottage, and her play is called Sweat. And it actually is about what happens in a, in a, a city in, in Philadelphia where the jobs leave and um, that part of the, the community is in this time of Trump is trying to figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. I don't want to give too much of the play away, but it's called Sweat, mm -hmm. and it's directed by uh, an African-American man. And so post-show, we will uh, engage in a conversation with the director, and so we're thrilled to do that. So it's a multi-part evening. It's an evening-length event. Uh, it's $200. I think I can say that as our suggested donation. Mm -hmm. And if you go to our website. Uh, if you haven't purchased your ticket already, you can do that, or it's suggested donation, $200 for the evening. Again, it's black tie, and we've done this many, many times in Philadelphia, and it is how we sustain ourselves to continue to engage and inform the larger community about the brilliant narratives of who and what African-American men are, and people like Michelle help us to do that. So, so thank you, and I'll give our website. 
www.thebrothersnetwork.art. Yes, it's a high-level domain name. So it's thebrothersnetwork.art. And I'm happy to give our office phone number, which is 267-334-4897. Again, 267 334 4897. Now, if, uh, if yes. brothers want to, to, to learn more about and become involved, or, you know, I know that you are not just in Philadelphia, you're in other cities. Um, are. How does that work? Um, well, they can call because we love that because we love that high touch experience to be able to jump on the phone like we're, we're uh, we love the high touch so you can call us directly at that same number. Uh, go to our website, you can sign up and we have other people in other cities who do a similar uh, who work with us and do similar work with us and that's our affiliate in Paris as well. We have uh, so thrilled to be there in, in Paris, France, uh, who has programs she has programs at events and yes, a woman leads that part of the, the organization uh, in, mm-hmm. in Paris. And so we're really, really happy that uh, it's, it, it's anyone can be part of the Brothers Network. So not only black men, but people who care about black men and people who mm-hmm. care about the future of black men like yourself uh, can mm-hmm. be part of the Brothers Network and can engage in intellectual discourse. So anyone, uh, black, white, young, old, straight, gay, it matters not to us uh, as long as you're interested in amplifying brilliant and authentic narratives uh, of black men around the arts and culture. So everyone is welcome. Uh, we have many donors and supporters who are not black, uh, but who, who are white. And they say, you know, mm-hmm. this is an important thing. And they, you know, so they, and everyone comes and engages and engages in the conversation and participates in the theater. And so it's a wonderful experience, uh, not only this particular event, but all of the experiences that we have put together uh, since our inception, which just goes over 300. This will be our 303rd uh, experience that we're putting together on, on the 12th of October. Wow, that's amazing. Well, Gregory, it is amazing, um, and I'm tired. I'm tired, Michelle. I, I know you're. I know you're tired. <laughs> well, you know what? Um, we have touched on it a couple of times, but um, you know, we've we've called his name, and I'd like to, if you can have some closing thoughts on the passing of Arthur Mitchell. Uh, you know, it's it's. <sighs> You know, we've lost so many giants, and so another giant has fallen, is is what I can say. And Mm -hmm. it is this passing of Arthur Mitchell uh, that empowers uh, and engages me to do this work and ensure that the world of dance and movement is continuously celebrated and the young dancers and and the young choreographers uh, will continue to tell their stories with their bodies. Um, and and this is it is just you know I mean from Alvin Ailey to 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 Arthur Mitchell to so many uh, dancers and choreographers who have uh, impacted the world of the arts and culture what we say is high arts uh, mm-hmm. just so amazing you know we're mm-hmm. so fortunate to have had uh, these people in our presence and they will be greatly missed and I will miss them and I want everyone who may not know who Arthur Mitchell is or why he's important to Google it and look it up and find out. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and be engaged because, it, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't just start it. Everything just didn't start in the year 2000. There were people <laughs> whose, uh, 
the Budgets Network is sustained because I stand on the shoulders of Arthur Mitchell. I stand on the shoulders of August Wilson. That's why I'm so tall, right? It is all of these people who have worked really hard, right, to allow us to do this work. Uh, and I stand on the shoulders of James Baldwin and W.E.B. Du Bois. That makes me even taller. Mm-hmm. And I put my chest out and I hold my head up and nothing and no one will stop us from telling our stories, changing the narrative, engaging people in the arts, culture, literature, discourse, and dialogue that says how wonderful black men are and what we can do. What I like to say is the possibility of possibilities. Wow. Well, Gregory, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You know, I can't make it to Philadelphia but for the 12th, but I will come at some point in time. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again about the Brothers Network and just sharing ideals with you. Um, I want to thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. I want to thank today's guest, Gregory T. Walker, founder and creative director of the Brothers Network. The Brothers Network amplifies the brilliance of African-American men to create a new narrative and support civic engagement and talent in American cities. The network will be holding their 10th anniversary celebration in Philadelphia on October 12. You can get more information by visiting www.thebrothersnetwork.art. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.